Good morning, Elevation. Good to be with you in this space once again. For those of you who might be visiting, taking some time looking around uh, over the course of the summer, my name is Brandon and I'm the lead pastor here in Waterloo. I came across uh, something this week that I thought was fantastic. It was an article, I'm sure you saw it in your newsfeed, about the launching of Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin capsule into space. And the article itself was, it was just kind of this newsworthy thing, but there was something in it that really caught my attention. So basically this little capsule was sent into outer space and basically it was a very short mission and there were four people on board. There was Bezos, his brother, um, a woman who was a pioneer really in the space race but was never allowed to go to space because she was a woman. Um, and then there was a fourth person and it was an 18-year-old kid. Um, the son of a wealthy business owner in the Netherlands. Um, but he wasn't actually supposed to be on this initial flight, this kind of historic flight for the company. Uh, what happened was they actually did this anonymous auction for the fourth ticket. So this would be the first person to pay for a ticket to travel into space. Um, but what happened was the person who bought that ticket for a cool $28 million had to back out because they had a scheduling conflict. This is what the article said. This was the reason that they could not go on this inaugural mission. They had a scheduling conflict. And when I read that, I'm thinking, this can't be real. I mean, what do you have going on in your life that is more pressing than flying to space? I mean, I know people are excited, hairdressers are open again and stuff, but really, like, what could you possibly be doing? The flight was only 10 minutes long. From the moment they got onto the capsule to when they landed again was an hour. Like, why can't you spare an hour? It was so strange to me, but it just goes to show people have all kinds of different priorities in this world, I guess. Now listen, online church is no trip to outer space, but it's not lost on me that there are other ways that you could choose to spend your time right now especially after more than a year of gathering online and then everything that the summer season has to offer. So I wanted to just pause and say thank you for taking the time to connect with our Elevation community today. This summer, we're talking about faith. What is it? How does it work? Why do we need it? And maybe most importantly, how can we hold on to it when push comes to shove? And to help us out, we're cracking open the stories of people of faith who have come before us. And we're trying to tap into some of our own stories as well through the interviews, like the one that we shared this morning, and hopefully through our neighbors group and even more informal conversations over these summer months. We're using Hebrews chapter 11, which begins this way. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And yet one of the things that we're discovering is that even the ancients struggled with their faith from time to time. So this morning, we are going to just dip our toes into the fascinating and sprawling story of one of history's most influential figures, the common ancestor of Jews, Muslims, and Christians alike, Abraham, or as he was originally known, Abram. So we begin with Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I looked up the most recent stats I could find from Stats Canada 2019, and there was this statement. It said that Canada is a nation of movers. About half of Canadian households have either moved within the past five years or intend to move within the next five years. So people in Canada move all the time. Suffice to say, this was simply not the case in the ancient Near East. At that point in history, you stayed put. You stayed with your family, with your clan, with your people. You didn't just venture off uh, for the next thing up on the, on the horizon. 
One of the interesting, and I would say perhaps overlooked aspects of this story, is that Abram may not have been the first one in his family who is called by God. Now, this is just conjecture. There's no necessarily um, history to back this up, but I just noticed something about this story. You see, Abram's father, Terah, was the one who initially packed up his family with the intention of putting down roots in Canaan. I'll put a map up on the screen here for you. In the bottom right, you're going to see kind of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. This is where Abram and his father Terah's family would have started out, and they made the journey north to Haran, and then the intention was to move south again toward Canaan. Um, so we begin in kind of the modern day um, Iraq, and then the northern destination would be kind of modern day Turkey, and then Israel, Palestine would be where Canaan would have been the promised land. And so this is what the plan was from the beginning, but some unknowable factor led to Terah to change his plans and settle in Haran instead. Frederick Buechner writes, we must each of us answer for ourselves, of course. Some days it's easier to say yes than other days. And even when we say yes, there's always a no lurking somewhere in the shadows. Just as when we say no, there's always a yes. That's the way faith breathes in and breathes out, I think. The way it stays alive and grows. Now I love this image. Faith breathing in and out. Yes and no. Now at some point, while Terah decided that he was going to stay in Haran instead of continuing on to Canaan, Abram heard God calling him to complete the journey. Now, what God says to him requires some serious translation. He says, you're to leave your father's household. Well, what does this mean? I think in our own culture, we think, well, of course, people should leave their father's household. Like when you, maybe it's when you're done high school, maybe it's when you're done university. At some point in young adulthood, it's a good time to leave your father's household. But that was, something was different in Abram's day. Your father's household, well, it was everything. It was your entire way of life. It was everything that you knew in the world. Leaving that, was leaving everything. It was going from the known to the unknown, and not only to the unknown, but as one other author puts it, to something that doesn't exist yet. Now, I saw this article this week that Google Maps was in some hot water because they had suggested some potentially fatal hiking routes up Scotland's highest mountain. And so the people who are in charge of these kind of natural park, national parks there were saying, you know, we're running into problems because in one case, there was this particular map that uh, Google Maps had suggested that even the most experienced mountaineer would have difficult, difficulty following this route. And in another particular uh, ascent to a peak, they said that the line recommended on a walking route would actually take people over a cliff. And so they're saying, please, if you're trying to hike our mountains, do us a favor, talk to us. Don't just trust the Google Maps. Now, listen, I'm not throwing any shade at Google Maps here. I personally think that if you're going to try and hike uh, a mountain, that you should probably do more than just put the peak in a search engine. I think you should probably do a little more research than that. But taking a step of faith, well, it can feel dangerous and it can actually even feel threatening, especially if the step you're being asked to take does not have an obvious precedent or a familiar destination. I mean, we could ask just this point blank question if you want, how willing would you be to pack up everything that you know and move away to an unknown destination? This question has been on my mind this week for a couple of reasons. One, the obvious, we're in Genesis 12 where God asked Abram to do this exact thing. Um, but Melissa and I have also been spending some time this week with good friends of ours who are longtime members of our Elevation community, but about six years ago moved out to Saskatoon. They packed up everything they knew 
and move their young family to another province. Um, and uh, yes, Canadians move more frequently than people did thousands of years ago, but it still was a massive move. And so every time we get together, we find ourselves talking to them about how are you adjusting? How is the change? Even years later, and in many ways they're thriving, but in some ways there still continues to be struggles, right? You see, at times faith invites us to leave the familiar and trade in our security for something other and maybe even better. Now, what was the better that Abram was looking forward to? We read it in Genesis 12, verse 3, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, there isn't much better than that, that everyone on earth would be blessed through you. Now, even with that in mind, let me be the first to admit that this is not the path that I would choose. Some people love adventure. Some people just like, let's move here, let's try this. Uh, that's just not me. So if you are here saying like, I can't imagine um, being able to be, pick up my life and move to a wholly another place and start again. Well, let me just tell you that that's not something that I would feel comfortable with either. Now, a couple of months ago, uh, when our kids were doing online school, remember that? Uh, Jude was doing an English assignment and he was doing it on poetry. And he says to me at one point, he says like, I hate poetry. And I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, I said, I don't like poetry all that much either. Um, but some of them are good. And he said, not this one. This one's no good at all. And he starts reading to me this poem. I said, what's the title of it? He says, it's The Road Not Taken. I said, you mean by Robert Frost? And he's like, oh yeah, you know it. I'm just like, that's a great poem. That's actually one of the good ones. And he's just like, no, it's no good. And I understand. I mean, at 16, you're only starting to make the kind of decisions that Frost's anonymous traveler was making. So it's a well-known poem about someone who comes to the edge of a wood and there are two paths and he has to make a decision. Which one am I going to take? And I just want to read the last stanzas of the poem after, after he makes a decision that he's going to take one direction over another. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You see, it does make all the difference, and whether we're talking about the choices that we make as individuals, as members of a family unit, or as a community of faith, it makes the difference. Are we willing to walk down a path where we're not sure where it leads? Now, God may or may not call us to go to faraway places and do unusual things. But countless times every day, we still need to find ways to say yes or no, to go on with God or to stay where we are, to stay as we are. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, with all due respect to the author of Hebrews, to be honest, obeyed and went is a serious oversimplification of what happened. There is so much to this story that we don't have time to dive into this morning, but I'd like to choose one key chapter of Abram's journey that illustrates something important about just how challenging it can be to have faith in real time. So at the beginning of this second leg of the journey, we read that Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, maybe here in 2021, 75 is the new 65, uh, but it's not the new 35. Uh, there will always be exceptions, but generally speaking, people aren't looking to start families in the eighth decade of their life. Abraham and Sarah clearly wanted children, but were told that she wasn't able to conceive. Now, some of you have walked this very path and some may be walking it now. 
And if you are, or if you have, then you can identify with Abram and Sarah in a very specific way, because you understand what it's like to want something like a child so badly and not be able to have that. So even though Abram had stepped out on this journey of faith, believing against all odds that God would make him into a great nation, there was still the obvious barrier. How can you make a nation if I can't have children? At one point, Abram vents to God. He points out that the only one to carry on his family is going to be his servant. How can that work? How can my servant be the one who's going to make me into a great nation? We read God's response in Genesis 15, verses 4 to 6. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This last line that Abram believed the Lord and that God credited to him as righteousness is quoted directly in three different New Testament letters, Romans, Galatians, and James. You see, this act of faith in the face of the impossible became the ultimate expression of faith, the ultimate example to point back to. But Abram's wife wasn't so sure. So she took matters into her own hands and encouraged her husband to sleep with her servant, Hagar, to produce a child. Now there are so many things wrong with this arrangement, but this was the world of a nomadic family trying to survive in the ancient Near East some 4,000 years ago. The story of Hagar is both tragic and beautiful. And if you want to hear more about her story, you can look up our podcast from July 12th, 2020, where I go into her story a little more deep. Now, Hagar had a child, Ishmael, which led to strife in the family. Go figure. But even with the attempt to take faith into their own hands, God stuck with Abe and Sarah. As for Sarah, your wife, God said, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham's response was to laugh. Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? He asked. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? 70s is one thing. We're in the 90s now. But he wasn't the only one who thought this was a crazy idea. On another occasion, as God sends a messenger to kind of remind Abram of this promise, Sarah overhears. And we read in Genesis 18, 12, that Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? She's like, seriously, the irony is killing me here. Have you ever laughed at the possibility of God doing something in and through you? Maybe someone suggests that you could accomplish something or do something and you're like, no, that could never happen, which is another way of saying that, that God could never use me in that way. I think a lot of us have probably had that experience. Well, how did God respond to this? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's this awesome rhetorical question that God asked, like, I can do what I want here. But there's something in this story about the laughability of trusting God, of having faith. And if you find yourself laughing, like there's no way this could ever happen, this might actually be an indicator that it's a time for you to have faith. Now, here's the thing. Yes, Sarah laughed and doubted that God would do as God had promised. That is a lack of faith by just about every definition. But listen again to the author of Hebrews. By faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. 
So even though they tried to make things happen on their own and laughed at the suggestion of what God could do in their lives, Abraham and Sarah are remembered for their faith, which is a great reminder that even when we question God's promises, when we grow impatient and try to take things into our own hands, when we laugh at the possibility of being used by God, even these don't disqualify us from being people of faith. I like the words of the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, what no person has a right to is to delude others into the belief that faith is something of no great significance or that it is an easy matter, whereas it is the greatest and most difficult of all things. Now, last weekend, our neighbor's kids showed up at our front door. They rang the doorbell and I came to the door and they were standing there with this giant zucchini in their hands. And they're about, I think, eight and six years old. And I looked at this thing and I was like, what on earth is that? And they're like, it's a zucchini. I'm like, where did you get it? We grew it in our garden. I'm like, that is the biggest zucchini I've ever seen in my life. I said, what did you feed it to make it grow so big? And they kind of were giggling. And then the girl, the eight-year-old looks at me and she says, well, uh, only water and rain. And I was like, only water and rain. That's amazing to make the zucchini grow that big. Well, what do we need to feed our faith so that it grows like the zucchini? Our reading from Hebrews offers a suggestion. Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10. By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. For our faith to not only survive but grow, we need a glimpse of what lies ahead. Now, let's be honest. In these COVID days, a glimpse of what lies ahead would be a whole lot more than what we're used to seeing, which is basically just fog, right? But in Genesis 15, 5, remember what happened. God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. This glimpse was the water, the rain that enabled Abraham's faith to grow. But I want to pick up again from Hebrews 11 just beyond where this morning's reading ended. This is chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. So after listing the first few of these you know, great men and women of faith in the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews kind of pauses and there's this little aside starting at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's a beautiful passage. Faith is possible only when we can approach life in a way that stretches beyond not only our current circumstances, but even beyond the end of our individual lives. Again, from Frederick Buechner, who is just a wonderful writer on the life of faith. Men and women of faith know they are strangers and exiles on the earth because somehow and somewhere along the line, they have been given a glimpse of home. To have faith is to respond to what we see by longing for it for the rest of our days, by trying to live up to it and toward it through all the wonderful and terrible things by breathing it in like air and growing strong on it, by looking to see it again and see it better. To lose faith is to stop looking. Now, as far as I know, God hasn't pulled any of us onto our decks or balconies and asked us to look up at the stars. So where will we get a glimpse of home that will help carry our faith 
or maybe we've already been given a glimpse. The New Testament of the Bible begins with a line that ties together Abraham's story with our own. Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, in one sense, this single verse covers nearly 2,000 years, but Jesus himself would tie the two ends closely together with a shocking statement directed at those who were trying to figure out what this wandering rabbi was all about. In John 8, 56, Jesus' words are recorded. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, was Jesus suggesting that somehow, all the way back in Haran, Abraham caught a glimpse of Jesus himself? Maybe, but I'm not so sure that's what he meant. I think it's more likely that Jesus was suggesting that Abraham's faith was rooted in something deeper than a child born in old age, or even a promised land. That his faith was rooted in the belief that God would one day bless all peoples on earth, and that since Jesus was the way the world would be blessed, he really was the one that Abraham was looking for. Now, there are a couple of lines in Paul's writings in the New Testament that help tie us back to Abraham's story as well. Galatians 3, 7, those who have faith are children of Abraham. Romans 4, 16, he is the father of us all. When I read these lines, it reminded me of a kid's song. I know I shared a kid's song last week from Rafi. Uh, this one, I don't remember who the artist is, but I remembered like doing it in swimming lessons and probably in grade school as well. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then you would start like waving your left hand and then you would say it again and then you start like shaking your right hand and then eventually your legs are moving and your whole body's going crazy and you forget all about it. But there's this like beautiful truth tucked in the middle of this kid's song. Abraham had many sons and daughters and I am one of them and so are you and that is reason for us to praise God. Against all hope, Paul wrote in Romans 4.18, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. But what Abraham and Sarah could never have imagined is that God's promise was not only about their literal family tree, but a genealogy of faith on a global scale. I think what Jesus was trying to say to the crowds and what he wants to say to us today is that all of our hope and all of our faith ultimately finds its fulfillment in him, in the fullness of life that we can know now and in the life that will stretch out even beyond the grave. Galatians 3.9 reads, Those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now in just a moment, we're going to dismiss to our neighbors groups and have an opportunity to discuss this morning's theme and check in with one another. But before we do, I'd like to pray. If you're not part of our neighbors group on a regular basis and you're just checking in with us this morning, you'll find a link in the comments. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we are grateful for the examples of men and women of faith who've come before us, who can help us understand what it means to be strong in our faith and also, in a sense, what it means to be weak in our faith, that it's all part of the breathing in, the breathing out, the yes and the no. God, I ask that you would help us be able to continue to grow, that you would give us the water and the rain that we need to grow in our faith. God, where we're struggling, fill in those gaps. Bring people around us to encourage us. 
We are grateful that we are part of this great family of faith that stretches back through millennia and that because of Christ, we are able to live full life here and now and look forward to a life eternal. So God, we pray these things and ask that your peace would go with us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace to you.